Hello, podcast listeners. I'm your host, Richard Lee, and welcome to Rangers Podcast, where we take a deep dive into people's lives and I get the opportunity to interview individuals that really inspire me. Today, we'll be interviewing Tiffany Suoto. We will talk about how she made a massive career shift to become a physician assistant, went from university to work and back to school, and how she became a literal Spartan. When I stop and remember that like, yeah, this is what I really want to do. And I imagine myself in that position. That's what keeps me motivated. To give a brief introduction, Tiffany is a financial consultant turned physician assistant student living in the Big Apple. She graduated from Georgia Tech with a degree in economic analysis, but soon turned to medicine. She normally spends 12 plus hours a day at the hospital and you might see her drink two venti cups of coffee before noon. Every time I see her, she's always radiating happiness. She's a sucker for old people, babies, and puppies. A bundle of positive energy, she loves traveling around the world and exploring new experiences. She is an avid Spartan racer and has won first place in an international race. Although quarantine has put a hard stop on many of her hobbies, she's taking up a new pastime right now in the process of creating a medical blog to document her journey through medicine without being restricted by an Instagram character count. Uh, her hashtag is at whitecoat underscore Woto. Her dream is one day to be a fixed ambassador working in pediatrics who travels the world with her husband and future puppy. Thank you, Tiffany, for coming on the show. Um, so I... So I majored in economics at Georgia Tech and originally I thought that's what I wanted to do um, because I enjoyed math, I enjoyed graphs, I enjoyed, I understood all of the supply and demand and my parents said it would make really good money when I started working. But um, when I actually got into the working field, I found that I didn't enjoy the work that I was doing because I felt like it wasn't very fulfilling. I was doing a lot of work for like bring more money to big companies. Um, and I was connecting more with, I liked connecting more with people on like a more personal level. So I was feeling really unfulfilled at my job. And that's why I decided to start looking into other opportunities for work. Um, during that time, I started shadowing a, a physician assistant at a primary care office. And it was there that I found kind of like pure joy in helping people. So seeing people, patients every day, talking to them about um, what their struggles were, both emotionally and um, medically. And then kind of that detective, kind of that detective, um, <laughs> I guess it was that detective uh, action of trying to put together what they were suffering from with an actual diagnosis um, that really kind of brought out my, it piqued my interest in going into medicine. And so it was from there that I started volunteering at hospitals. I started um, applying. I actually quit my job as a financial um, consultant and I applied to work as a scribe in a urgent care setting. And yeah, it was from, I guess that, from that experience that I truly found my love for medicine and the rest is history. It seems like you went through quite a journey to get to where you are right now. Um, so it seems like we went from a high school to college to career in some sense and a pivot happened. And then now you are here where you are, right? Is that, is that what it is? So I, I think it would be really nice for us to, uh, Take a step back and can you tell me a little bit how about how your college experience was like and how your career was getting developed at that point? Um, my college experience was actually not to like make it sound like I'm super smart or anything, but it was actually fairly enjoyable as far as going to college and studying goes. Um, like I mentioned Math was pretty simple for me. Um, so economic analysis, judging graphs and trends um, was actually pretty straightforward. So I didn't spend too much time on schoolwork. I probably spent a moderate amount of time on schoolwork, but most of my college experience and what I'm most grateful for is for the relationships that I made in college. So I was involved in a church ministry, which is where I made a good number of friends. Um, I also connected with 
um, people in my classes who were interested in uh, foreign languages like I was, who were interested in um, business processes. And so the relationships that I made in college, which are lasting relationships to this day, is what I value most of all my college experience. Not that my education was lacking or anything, because it was definitely um, a sufficient amount of education to get me a job. But I think the most valuable part about college and undergrad was the people that I met and the memories that we made that I'll remember for mm-hmm. probably the rest of my life. That's so cool. Um, so tell me a little bit about the uh, major itself that you studied, because I know you did quite a bit. So I'd love to hear that. Um, so the major that I did was specifically called Global Economics and Modern Languages. And so it was a double major um, of economic analysis and econometrics. And um, the double major was in languages. And so you choose a particular language that you want your second um, to be. So mine was Chinese because um, my family is Chinese. I have a background um, in that area. And so I wanted to kind of dive more into that culturally and to learn more about business Chinese rather than just conversational Chinese. So that's why I went into learning that. Um, I also do have an interest in learning foreign languages. Um, A little bit of background for that is when I was in high school, my school only offered Latin, French, and Spanish, but I took high school level French and Spanish, and then that carried over to my undergrad. So in undergrad, I minored in French and in Korean, and then I got a certificate in Spanish. I also took um, a semester in Russian, a semester in Arabic, and a semester in Japanese. So I kind of dipped my toes in all of the languages. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it was honestly like my stress release classes where I just had fun. We chatted in different languages, learned about the culture. We had international days where we ate food from those cultures. So that was a lot of fun. So that's the modern languages side of my major. The I guess you could call it the quote unquote main component of my major was economics. And so for global economics, we focused on economic analysis And a lot of what we did was we analyzed supply and demand uh, relationships within different countries as well as across countries. So um, an example for my junior thesis, I wrote um, a research paper on the the relationship between economic inequality of countries and their relative GDP and how that changed based on not only whether or not they were developing or developed countries, but also their how far they were advanced in technology and um, the wage gap between the like top 1% and the majority of the population. So that was basically the brunt of my economics part of my major. We did a lot of analysis of different countries. We... Um, Mm-hmm. did some in-depth diving into like Germany. We did in-depth diving into China, um, obviously in the U S and we compared, com- or, uh, we co- compared countries with high GDP versus low GDP. We contrasted, um, countries that had a large percentage of their population was in a poverty situation rather than a middle-class situation. Mm-hmm. And we also compared wage gaps between men and women in different so it was pretty interesting um i won't lie but um haven't looked into that for a while yeah yeah and that's and i think that's like the really joy the real joys of like university learning where you get to like study so many different things all at once i think if i had to count how many languages you were taking i think i would have counted six is that right it was so obviously i speak english um and then chinese Korean, Japanese, French, Spanish, Arabic, Russian. That's eight. So eight. Including so English. So you've taken seven, seven different courses at Tech? Language seven courses, different yeah. language courses. Yeah. I will say for like, I guess, disclaimer is that I only took one semester of Japanese, Arabic, and mm-hmm. Russian. Um, but 
And although I wouldn't say, I definitely wouldn't say I'm fluent in those languages, but it's nice to be able to pick up on specific words um, that are recognizable, whether it's, um, you know, when you hear, especially in New York, you hear, you know, lots of passing tourists who speak different languages. Sometimes you hear like a snippet of their conversation Mm -hmm. um, or when you're at like Disney World, which also (laughs) has a bunch of tourists and you just catch, you know, parts of what different people are Mm -hmm. saying. So it's pretty fun. That's really cool. And I, I, I think you get a lot of joy in saying, oh, I know I know that little bit of information that they're having. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and it seems like it seems like the economics courses you were taking were very much in tune with the global perspective of, of, right. how, of how your languages were being viewed as, but also um, the economics of how this associates with individual people. You mentioned right, before that exactly. you love people. So uh, I'm assuming that's a through line that you do see a lot of that going on. Yeah, for sure. A little bit. It was definitely more like removed compared to what I'm doing mm-hmm. now. But it was definitely interesting, especially when we were um, studying like wage gaps, um, whether it was be- uh, between ger- genders mm-hmm. or between uh, different income families. Oh, that's really interesting. So tell me the uh I would love to go into the story of like, what was it like to now go into the real world uh, that a lot of college students say, uh, like taking all these learnings that you have from language classes and um, economics courses, like how did that transfer over? Um, As far as going into the real world for uh, financial consulting, I ended up not using a lot of the global aspect of my major. Um, So the company that I worked for, we did have uh, branches overseas and we did work with them. Um, We collaborated with companies in, for instance, in India, in China, in Thailand, but um, we didn't focus more on such a macroeconomic scale. We were much more micro because we were looking at specific companies. We were looking at um, like investment firms, private equity mm-hmm. firms. So it's much more micro. So I didn't use as much of my analysis experience um, as much as my as much as discussing how different sources of revenue or uh, investing in certain programs would benefit the company. Mm-hmm. And this was where was all this work done? Uh, this is so in New York. You, so this was—I'm assuming this is when you fell in love with New York. Um, yeah, I. So I always had the dream of living in New York since I was a kid. Um, we. So I grew up in Georgia, and you always hear, no matter what state you're in, you always hear that New York is like the, you know, American dream. You get to live in the big city where there's so much exposure to everything. And coming from suburban Georgia, it sounded super exciting. It sounded new. It sounded fun, bright lights, all of that stuff. And so I was always interested in going to New York. I'd actually never been to New York until I interned at a bank in my junior year of college. And I got to experience the city. I fell in love with Broadway. Um, I loved how people were walking around and getting places. I loved how such a small city geographically can feel so big and yet it can be so small at the same time. So I think the other thing that I really love about New York is the mindset. Everyone here is so driven. Um, They have professional goals and they have personal goals and they have passion projects and they're all working towards, you know, making their life better and more interesting and more unique. And that drive and that determination to, you know, reach for something that's greater than what you are now really inspired me because I love that forward moving momentum and getting to new places. So I think working, getting my first working job in New York um, and being surrounded by all of those people who have the same momentum that I do really inspired me to become something greater. That's, I I think you're essentially like living the American dream and no other city in America exemplifies it like New York does. So that's that's yeah. That, I, I love New York. That, uh, as we can see, Tiffany's a really big fan of the Big Apple. Um, yes, the biggest fan <laughs> of the Big Apple. So, uh, 
let's let's walk down. It seems like you've got your internship in junior junior year in a bank of of some sort in New York, and how, mm-hmm. and it seems like that was the start of a career, right? So walk me down that right. that aisle a little bit. Um, so the job that I had as an intern was with a bank. Um, it was a legacy bank in New York, and so as an intern, I did a lot of spreadsheets. Um, for projecting like different funds that the bank was working with. And it was not exciting, (laughs) I would say. I definitely wouldn't say it was exciting, but it wasn't terrible. I I think growing up on the idea that most people work so they have money to do what they love, I was pretty much okay with that job. I thought, well, if I, you know, work hard at this job, if I do well, it may be, you know, a little routine every day. But if I have that opportunity to make the money to do the things that I love to do, which is traveling, which is, you know, doing Spartan races, which is, you know, going out and eating with friends, going and see Broadway, I was okay with that. Um, which is why I continued on the path of, you know, finance and economics, even after I returned from my internship. So, but I think the difference between my internship and my job, not only because of there, there was slightly differences in, Uh, my job function, but also the work that an intern does is nothing like the work that an actual employee does, especially at a big company. So I think my taste of the corporate world is much, was much different than what it actually was like. I see. I see. So you did have some uh, work experience in New York after you graduated, right? Like the uh, non-internship experience. I did. So after I graduated um, from Georgia Tech, I moved to New York um, for my financial consultant job. And that's where I was a consultant for a company that was working with, uh, like I mentioned, companies overseas, companies in the US. Um, we were working with private equity firms and investment mm-hmm. banks. Can you like walk me through like your day-to-day experience? Because I think you've told me quite a few stories and I'm like, that doesn't seem like the dream, but you're like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. So can you walk me through like your daily routine there? Um, am I, am I allowed to talk about this? Uh, you could, let's bleep out the name of the company just for your sake. Yeah. Okay. Just like your every, your everyday like schedule. Okay. So for my schedule, most of what we did, so we were in the office from nine to six at a minimum and the day consisted of, um, working. So we worked with clients my branch specifically worked with clients mostly in the U.S. Um, and the U.K. And what we did was these private equity firms or these investment firms, they were looking to make acquisitions of other companies, um, whether those were smaller companies or bigger companies or companies that were the same size, just something to further their business ventures. And what we did was we had to, we were in charge of finding consultants for them to help to help them make those decisions. So we spent pretty much the whole day on the phones. Uh, we were always talking to people um, based on connections that we had, connections that the companies had, or even on LinkedIn. And essentially what we did was we coordinated a consultation over the phone with the consultant and the client. And um, essentially we just monitored and manage that. So we weren't a part of it because of um, private information, but we just monitored to make sure that the call went through and we were in charge of handling the compensation as well as um, in the future, any returning calls for further Mm -hmm. consultations. Then we played a part in wrapping up the eventual acquisition. I think, I think to a certain degree, that sounds rather exciting. It could be. Um, I think the tough part about that job was that there was no face-to-face interaction. So I was spending a lot of time on the phone with strangers. Most of the time you were getting rejections from consultants, um, which rejection is okay. And you learn from that. But um, when you spend most of your time on that end, also being it being very impersonal um, and so very focused on the money mm-hmm. side of it that... I felt a little bit disillusioned to what was actually going yeah. on. That that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think now, like you're, you're you're essentially saying, I was on phone calls every day with people, uh, 
and they might not have the best response, which is understandable, right? Uh, I right. remember you told me a couple stories that you like take multiple breaks just to get out of the office. Yeah. So that's why I didn't mention the company and hopefully none of my former coworkers are listening to this, but um, I was having a really hard time at my job because I was so out of touch with the vision that the company was going for um, that I actually struggled a lot with feeling motivated um, and just kind of being in a constant negative environment. So I would take two coffee breaks every day. I would go at 10.30 in the morning and I would go at three o'clock in the afternoon and I would go, so our building, we were in this big building, um, right in Times Square and at the very foot of our building, actually, I don't know if I should mention this because then you can find out where it is. I would go, uh, I would go to nearby Starbucks and I would wait, um, in line during peak hours to get my coffee. So that way I scored about 15 minutes out of my seat, out of my cubicle mm-hmm. for each day. Did you uh, time? And that was did you, recharge did you time it for the peak hours? I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I this did. Was and, <laughs> yeah, and I mean it. I mean it definitely helped with like my mental mm-hmm. state as far as being away from all of that negativity. Um, but I also, I mean, I also used it to continue to connect with my coworkers mm-hmm. because I think having a good relationship with your coworkers is very important. Um, it really helps with your mental state when you're at work. And so whenever I went and got Starbucks, I'd always ask if anyone wanted me to pick up for mm. them. So um, I was known as the coffee addict in our team, but we, which we, coincidentally translated into my current coffee addiction. So I've been, I've been following and I'm like surprised, but also not. So <laughs> it's nice to see that. So it looks like this was the point. This was the place in your hero's journey that you're like, I want to do something different. Yeah, it was, a, uh, it was kind of honestly a, a epiphany moment when I decided that I wasn't going to do this anymore. And I was going to completely change mm. tracks. Um, honestly, I can't say that there was a particular reason that drove me towards medicine rather than any other field. Um, a little bit of background into that that's interesting is as a child, I was always really squeamish. I wasn't good with blood. I hated anything to do with that. And um, I wouldn't say that I'm a fainter, but I'm like pretty close on that end of the spectrum, at least as a child growing up. Um, And so I think when my parents heard that I was gonna go into medicine, they completely couldn't understand where I was coming from. Um, And they questioned me a lot, which I understand. They didn't want me to struggle. as I'm kind of trying to find my professional route. But I think, and honestly, like anytime I tell this story to anyone, I always say that it has to have been like divine intervention from God putting me in the place that I'm meant to be. Mm. Because after my, you know, experiences working in the hospital, now I'm the type of person who really loves doing blood draws or really loves doing really? stitches on people. So it's a complete turnaround. Um, but not one that I'm, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure your patients are also very not mad about it. Um, <laughs> so can you map out this timeline of like you looking out the window and waiting for your next coffee break to, I want to be in the medical field. So I would say that the day that I started at my corporate job, I knew that it wasn't where I was meant to be. Uh, the first day. And yeah, unfortunately. And I um, I would say probably within like three months or four months, I started looking for other opportunities. Um, I looked at other financial positions. I looked at um, various medical positions. Um, and I think maybe like five months into my job, I started actively applying to Uh, medical positions and applying to take classes in order to qualify for those medical jobs. Um, And then I quit my corporate job on the day of my six months at that company. So it was fairly short, um, but I would say the amount of research that I put into to make those decisions was quite extensive. Mm -hmm. So it was six months. It was kind of you brewing into like 
jumping into the medical field. Um, so tell me how does one without any medical experience jump into this medical experience, like medical world, right? Right. Um, that's a good question. Honestly, I think it's all about being in the right place at the right time and knowing um, which connections you can kind of call upon. Uh, it just so happened that someone at my church was a physician assistant at a primary care up in Harlem. And so I just straight up asked him, can I shadow you for three weeks? And he said, sure. So I shadowed him. So that was my shadowing experience. Um, and then from that, so then I had about 120 hours of shadowing experience. So I put that on my resume. I revamped my entire resume. Um, I highlighted my leadership skills, my personal skills, empathetic skills, um, and obviously my shadowing experience. And I just applied for uh, medical scribe jobs. And so I would say that as far as applying for getting a step into the medical field, applying for a scribe job is a good first mm -hmm. step because you don't need any medical certification to get that position. You would probably benefit from having some sort of volunteering or shadowing experience, but you don't need any medical certification to mm -hmm. get that job. And it's a great first step for anyone wanting to go into the medical That's field. awesome. And a lot of people applying to medical school or PA school have some sort of scribing experience. That's very cool. Uh, I think for our listeners and for me, um, can you explain to me like what a physician phys physician's assist, assistant is as well as a medical, so, medical scribe is also? So um, I'll start with medical scribe. So the medical scribe is someone whose job is to make the medical provider's job a little bit easier. Um, it's the person who, if you ever go to the doctor nowadays, normally there's a person who does all of the typing while the doctor is doing the examining. And so that person is the scribe. And it comes from obviously the root word of scribing, which is writing. And their job, their sole job is to write down everything that happens in the exam room from the moment the patient comes into the room, all of their um, vitals, all of their complaints, all of their history, all the procedures that the doctor does, all the examinations the doctor does, and any medications that the doctor prescribes, they are in charge of writing all of that. So they're basically like the historian mm. who takes minutes of the doctor's Is visit. Is it literal minutes? They're like, minute one, this happened. Middle two, this happened. Well, it's not literal minutes, but it's like they write down pretty much everything that happens uh, in the exam. So yeah. So that's what a scribe does. So what would be an example of what a scribe would write that we wouldn't know about? So, I mean, for example, um, the scribe starts off by um, checking the patient's vitals. So they'll check their heart rate, they'll check their temperature, they'll check um, their blood pressure, etc. And then, so they write all of that in the patient's chart. And the chart is essentially a record of their medical history. And then, um, then they're in charge of finding out the patient's medical history. So they say if uh, the patient has been taking any medications in the history of ever, and if they've ever had surgeries, if any of their parents have had some sort of medical condition, all of that information that might be necessary uh, for making a diagnosis, diagnosis later down the line. And then when the doctor comes in, they document everything that happens during the patient exam. So Normally, it's like when the doctor like checks your lymph nodes, and then they'll check your eyes, and they'll check your ears, and then they'll check your like reflexes. They'll tap your knee with a little hammer. Mm -hmm. All of those things, they write that down. And then any decisions that the doctor makes, so whether it's deciding on a certain medication or if it's deciding to splint a you know leg or get an X-ray, everything gets written down. And then at the very end of the uh, visit, the patient. Um, or the scribe writes down whatever the diagnosis is, according to the doctor, and they send the prescription medication to the pharmacy for the patient to pick up. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. So, it's very that, comprehensive. I think your explanation was also very comprehensive, so I think you got a lot of practice there. <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. Thank you so much. Um, so, so you found your first opportunity to become a medical scribe through a physician's assistant, yes? Oh, wait, could uh, you say so that again? You, you found this position through a physician's assistant. assistant. Um, no, I didn't. So after I shadowed, um, I was looking for opportunities to kind of get more into the medical mm -hmm. field. And I was hoping to find some something that 
uh, had some sort of salary Mm -hmm. rather than just volunteering. Um, Because living in New York, it's hard to pay for things when you have no income. So rather than looking for volunteering jobs, I was looking for things that I could possibly get my foot in the door in the medical field. And so after doing some research of different, um, I guess, different assistants in who are part of the medical team who don't have necessarily a medical license, um, the scribe is what I found, which was the best for someone who's new to the field. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about your New York journey during all this, because you're not in just any city, you're in New York, um, trying to make a little bit of money, becoming a scribe and some of the journeys and challenges you have to go through to do that. Um, my New York journey. What do you mean? Exactly? Well, I, like, I think there was that one time I met you in front of a coffee shop and you just like walked down this narrow, like narrow, uh, stairway i'm like is this where you live I'm like, yeah i'm like what this is oh yeah so when i first moved to new york i uh moved into this tiny little apartment um in the east village it was very cute <laughs> sort of <laughs> in a small way um it was we were on the fourth floor of a walk-up and it was located above a coffee shop and um, in the East Village, it's the home of all of the bars and all the clubs. So it was always very exciting at night. Um, but yeah, my apartment was very small. I honestly don't know the square footage or any of that numerical stuff. But I know that um, we had at one point five girls living in this tiny little apartment, which consists of three rooms, one of which was a room that got converted into a bedroom, which was not originally what was a bedroom. The room I don't know what it was before because there were people living there before me, but essentially it was one common area, a second room that was kind of converted into a bedroom and a bedroom that was literally the size of the bed. So wait, there's how many beds were in that one bedroom? So in the bedroom that was the size of a bed, there was one bed in the bedroom that we converted. It was a bunk Ah. bed. And then we also had a pullout couch in the main area. So you live the classic welcome to New York lifestyle for a bit. Yeah. We didn't have air conditioning, um, but we had a fan. Uh, we, the bathroom was small enough that you could sit on the toilet and put your hand in the sink and your other hand in the bathtub. Or alternatively, you could stand in the middle of the room. You could touch all four walls at the same time. (laughs) So it's, it's pretty much, the bathroom the size of an airplane bathroom is what you're telling me. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It was it was a small bathroom. You could touch mm-hmm. all the walls. There's mold on the ceiling. And yeah. It was a the hot water didn't always work. Yep. But it was a it was a good experience, mm-hmm. I think. It's like the classic New York experience where you live in the shoebox apartment that Everyone needs to have at some point. Yeah, I, th- I think you're initiated into New York at the moment. Your your room is the size of your previous closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it seems like you've got your foot in the door, right? As a medical scribe. Mm-hmm. Tell me your journey from that point on. Um, so I scribed for about seven months, which is actually relatively short um, compared to, I guess, most people who are in that mm-hmm. field. Um, but for me, the reason why I decided to quit after seven months is because I decided to go full-time back to school. At that point, I had already decided that I wanted to pursue becoming a physician assistant. And so um, I figured the best way to actually get onto that track was to start taking classes. Um, so I decided that I was going to go back to school full-time. And then if I needed to get more um, patient care hours, that I would get that after I got all of my grades that I needed. <clears throat> So um, after working in New York as a scribe for seven months, I quit and I actually moved back to Georgia because at that point I still qualified as a Georgia resident and I went full-time back to school. I took literally every science class that exists in the world because as an economics major, you don't have to take any (laughs) science classes. So I didn't have any. So going back to school, I had to start from biology one and chemistry one. Um, but I really pushed it for getting the classes done as soon as mm-hmm. possible. Um, just cause I was so, I was so sure that this is what I wanted to do. So, 
I wanted to get it done as quickly as possible so I can actually get onto that journey, mm-hmm. right? So I actually stacked my classes. I took um, I took four labs every semester at once, um, which was busy, but honestly, it was a lot of fun. Um, I found a new love for science. Um, and something that I would suggest for anyone who's looking to go into the medical field quickly is that for some schools, you can actually ask to take classes as co-requisites rather than prerequisites. So for example, um, I had a class that I needed to take, I think it was biochemistry um, as a prerequisite. Oh no, I had to take cellular biology as a prerequisite for um, biochemistry, but I needed genetics as a prerequisite for cell biology. And that extra one class would have pushed me over for an entire new applying cycle for PA school. Mm -hmm. So actually what I did was I asked the admissions office if I could take them at the same time. And you have to list your reasons why you have to prove that you have the ability to succeed in those classes. But if you can prove all of those things, um, they'll actually let you take those classes at the same time rather than as prerequisites. It varies based on school and based on class, but it's uh, definitely something that I've heard a lot of other people have done. So that really helped me a lot because otherwise I would still be taking classes right now. Mm, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I remember you told me a lot about your experience uh, during this time. And I, regardless of how good you're with time management, four labs are very difficult to do at the same time. Um, honestly, I don't know how else I can explain it other than it just worked Mm. out. Um, I think something that I was willing to sacrifice was sleep and not to the extent that it was like bad for my health, but I scheduled my classes to start at 8am. So I took the earliest class and I took all my classes back to back. And then immediately after class, then I would go find somewhere and study and I would study until dinner time. And if for any reason I finished my lab early or I finished my assignments early, then I would take that time and I would take a break, like a brain break and let my everything recharge. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, I like to say that I'm pretty good with time management. Um, I'm also pretty good at shutting off everything else when I'm working. So I think that really worked in my favor as far as getting stuff done. Um, Another thing about time management is taking advantage of all of the small bits and pieces of time that you have during your day. So for example, if your teacher is running late to class and you're standing outside, you have like maybe 10 minutes instead of being on your phone, scrolling through Facebook, you can like look through your notes for the day or you can start on the lab for, you know, that's due tomorrow, um, which is what I really took advantage of. And that's how I kind of took advantage of all those, you know, every like 15 minutes throughout the day adds up to eventually being an hour. So, so you, that so helped you me a lot. really knew how to squeeze a minute out of every moment. That's yep, awesome. That's squeeze. awesome. And I remember uh, you came back to your alum, right? Like you came back to Georgia Tech for courses or? I did. I did. So I spent, um, I spent some time back at Georgia Tech um, to take some classes because I was familiar with their system, their grading, the campus, everything. Um, and then actually after, after doing that for a bit, I started taking classes at a local community college because it was cheaper by more than half. And I figured if I'm about to get hundred K in debt for PA school, I might as well save some money on prerequisite classes. So, and for applying to like PA school or other medical schools, actually, um, they do not care if you take it at a community college as long as it's accredited so so that's a very good note for all of our listeners that are considering pa school yes a gold load of uh great information here um yeah during this time you're also going back into your hobbies i was my biggest hobby which is also my biggest time sink which is also my biggest money sink was uh spartan racing and i actually really reached a peak in 2019, which is when all of this stuff with classes was going down. Um, that, so for Spartan racing, essentially what it is, is obstacle course racing and you travel out to like the mountains or to like some trail or someplace in the middle of nowhere. Um, 
And essentially you run a race where you climb a bunch of stuff and you carry things and there's a lot of like swinging and climbing and pulling. Um, and so I did races with um, my friends as well as my now husband. And we, in 2019, we ran, or at least I ran a total of 12 races. Um, individual races. These are all... Twelve individual separate. races. And that goes, that was like between... Georgia, New York, we went to Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, and I also ran one in Canada, actually. Which so I, we did a lot of traveling for that. From, from my memory, uh, also were first place at the Canada one. I did win first place in Canada. Um, it was a lot of fun, and yeah. It was a good experience for sure. It was a very good experience. Um, and I, I, I agree it's a great experience, but I believe you also. Um, if, I was to, if I were to personally paint out Spartan races, it's essentially, what, 10 to 15 to what? Amer- what's, how, how long is the longest one that you've done? It depends on which race that you do. It can be anywhere between five to... 30 miles, depending on which level of race that you do. Yes. So she ran 30 miles and done how many obstacles? Um, the 30 mile one is 60, 60. obstacles. It's like 30 miles and like 61, 61 obstacles. 61 different obstacles. And as I've personally done a Spartan race with her, those are not easy obstacles. <laughs> so can you tell us of like a hard-ish obstacle that you have done on the sprint race? Um, I think one that I find very difficult is called, it's called the Tarzan swing. And actually this one is specific to um, a race in California and a race in Vermont. And essentially what it is, is you swim, you jump into a river and you swim out to a bridge in the middle of the river. And from the bridge, they have hung on the bottom of the bridge, they've hung a rope ladder. And then spanning the width of the bridge, they have a bunch of ropes, like a like one foot ropes. And then there's a bell at the very end of the width of the bridge. So you climb out of the water, up the rope ladder, and then you have to swing across the ropes like Tarzan and hit the bell at the end. That one I would say is very See? difficult because you have a lot of water weight. You have your cold because this race happens in uh, like end of September. It's in Vermont. And yeah, you have to not only climb out of the water, but you also have to swing across. <laughs> this is just uh, to the audience. This is one <laughs> obstacle on top of the other 60, as well as the 30 miles that you're running. And this is not flatland. This is muddy vertical mountain slopes at some points. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. <laughs> so so Tiffany and Gabe, uh, the lovely couple, have a great hobby and joy of convincing people to go on these Spartan races with them. We con- we consider them the mother and father figure of the group. Uh, it's a misery loves company. Misery loves company, and they try <laughs> to grab as many people as possible to come with them. So what do you what do you what do you tell new people that have never done this before? How would you convince them? Um, we tell them it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, people. Ten, I, I believe the, the normal one they usually bring you on is the 10 mile. The 10 mile with, what, 30 it, obstacles. It, it depends. It depends. <laughs> it depends. Just get ready. That one's one of Just our favorites. Just get ready to, like, stretch for the next week and train. I think something that we really enjoy about, for both of us, about Spartan racing is that it's something that if you can, honestly, if you can push through like even like 15 miles or 10 miles of, you know, hiking up a mountain through mud, carrying rocks and, you know, dragging like buckets of like sandbags. And if you can do all of that, if you have like the mental grit to get through that, then all of the things that happen in life are so much smaller in comparison. Like if you can get through those you know, grueling miles where you're ready to give up and you just want to roll down the mountain and, you know, (laughs) forget it all. Like once you push through that, if you remembered like the, 
struggle that you got through when you're, you know, sitting at work at your cubicle, you know, lamenting about how boring that your job is or how terrible your manager Mm -hmm. is. Like those things are a lot easier to get through. So yes, as you can see, her mental strength and her physical strength are surmountable (laughs) of all big tasks that I've ever seen in my life. And it builds it character. Build, it, That's what it, I like it to think. Character. It, it, it definitely builds character. Um, I think I've 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 done a race with her personally that I could test you. I think her her hands were bleeding at one point, and she just wrapped it in gauze and just kept going. And I'm like, oh, there's blood on the bars now. And I said, oh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm like, is this normal? <laughs> so she is, she has a ton of character. If, if you ever get the pleasure to know her, I could attest to that. She will put character into you as well. <laughs> Is that supposed to be a compliment? It, it, it's a compliment. Just trust me, it's a compliment. <laughs> so it seems like there's a lot of parallels on the way you approach Spartan Race, the way you approach a career shift, which is not easy. Um, and I believe your parents were saying, just do the financially smart thing to do. Um, right. Uh, and then you also have another hobby, another passion of yours that consumed a lot of time during your college years and also uh, after? Huh? <laughs> the secret word is dance, people. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I did dance uh, in college. Um, yeah, as you can tell, this is not a big part of my life anymore, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but I started dancing uh, in college. I joined a dance team that was with our college uh, ministry and it was called impact and the motto was we dance to express not to impress which was perfect for me because as someone who had never danced before and basically had two left feet i knew nothing about dancing um but it was a great place to get to know people make some friends just kind of have fun um and also you know spread a great message being a college ministry so the point of our dance message was always, um, you know, spread the gospel, learn about uh, God. So it was honestly really good for me as far as like my relationship with God for myself, as well as building relationships with those people who are in that group. And that was my like first step into dancing. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so much so that actually in my soft, in my sophomore year, Um, I joined a competitive dance team and that was a lot of fun. It wasn't a church-based dance team, but we competed in uh, dance competitions, uh, intercollegiate dance competition every year. Um, And that was a lot of fun. It was a lot more rigorous and more technical, but I learned a lot about dancing uh, through that. And... I think it's a good place to also just get out your energy and de-stress like after a long day at school. So I danced all the way through, all the way through college. And for about a year after college, I stopped dancing when I moved to New York and started my uh, corporate Mm -hmm. job. But when I moved back to Georgia for school um, to finish all my science classes, I actually rejoined the competitive dance team. And we, uh, we went second place at our competition that year. Um, but then moving back to New York afterwards, I have not continued dancing simply because, well, first of all, because of COVID, um, that there's not a good place to <laughs> dance. But the other thing is um, I'm focusing my, right now I'm just focusing my energy elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, but I would not be opposed to picking it up again in yes. the future. And if anyone here knows Tiffany, she's a very talented dancer, no matter what she tells you. Um, <laughs> and is very, very, uh, very much a hard worker in the t- dance room. So I just like to bring that up. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you flatter me. Um, but yeah, so it seems like there's a through line between all the things that you do. It's it's the love of people that you work with, uh, the passion that you really do. And you're really good at focusing. Like I see that in the Spartan Race. We see that in how well you pivot in your career field and the studies that you're doing. So what's the next big thing that you're working on right now? Um, So right now, as I'm uh, applying to PA schools, um, I spent a lot of time on this new, I guess you call it a quarantine project, uh, but maybe it's just coincidental because it's during quarantine. 
Um, but because I'm applying to PA school and it's such a big pivotal point in my life and basically my entire future rides upon this, or at least I told myself that, um, I recently started a Instagram page that documents my journey to PA school. Um, and the reason why I created it was not only because I wanted to document my journey so that I could look back on it, you know, in the future when I have achieved my goals and be like, oh yeah, I like got through all of those struggles. Um, I also was really inspired by the community, the medical community in Instagram. Um, it's funny because there's so much toxic toxicity in social media that I've also experienced personally. Um, but Surprisingly, and I'm sure there are aspects of it that are also can be toxic, but from my experience with the medical community on Instagram, they're very supportive and encouraging, even to people that they don't know. And seeing the you know different messages from people who have gone through what I'm going through or people who are at the point that I want to eventually reach is very encouraging for me during the hardest parts of my application process. Um, and so I was really inspired to not only you know, record what I'm going through, but also to be, I want to be that encouragement for people who are in my position in the future. And so that's why I created my Instagram page. Um, it's honestly a lot of fun. It's like, I talk about the struggles that I'm going through <laughs> with applying. I talk about random health facts. Um, honestly, it's just a lot of fun that I'm having with it. I've connected with a lot of really wonderful people um, through it. Um, but yeah, I think the next step that I've found that I want to pursue is doing some sort of blog or vlog because, um, and I want to thank Richard for pushing me to do this because <laughs> he's, he's the biggest proponent for expanding beyond Instagram. Um, but because I've noticed that uh, Instagram is it limits you and how much you can say to fit within one post. It's also a different um, type of community that you're reaching out to. So in order to have like a bigger space to, for me to expand and fill, you know, with all of my ideas and experiences, um, I've been thinking about possibly moving on to something bigger. And we're all super excited for that. Um, and I think it's, I think it's really cool to see you approach this in such a different way than how I see a lot of people approach, uh, like career pivots. Usually they're quiet and stressful and they're like, ah, oh, don't talk to me about it. Um, but you're very open about the process and like keeping the same, uh, uh, excitement throughout all of this. So that's really exciting to see it. So we actually got a couple questions from your fans on your, of your Instagram page. And I have to do the same justice of asking you the questions myself. So I'm going to pick from the top few. Um, okay. So this, this question came up quite a, quite, uh, uh, came up quite a lot. Uh, is what keeps you motivated? Um, hmm, I think during moments when times are tough. So whether it's if you're like if I'm doubting myself or if I'm, you know, unsure of what's to come or if I'm just feeling unmotivated. Um, I think when I think and remember that this is like my dream, like this is what I've been working for. And I've put in all of these hours to work, you know, 13 hour shifts at the hospital or to, you know, spend, you know, wake up at 6am to get to 8am class when you have to drive an hour. Um, or when I think about the times that I have to miss out on social gatherings because I'm working, when I stop and remember that like, yeah, this is what I really want to do. And I imagine myself in that position. That's what keeps me motivated. Um, the other thing I think is just the idea of being able to do, to wake up and do something that you love to do. And that can, I think to like extrapolate from that, that can expand to like, not just your job, but like even your hobbies or, you know, working with certain people or even just getting like going to the gym, like all of those things can, you know, you can use that mindset to keep, keep yourself motivated. Mm -hmm. So I think the other thing that I use to keep myself motivated when things are tough is to talk to someone else. Um, because sometimes if you're stuck in your own head and you're just kind of 
rethinking over and over, I can't do it, or why, you know, what happens if I can't make it, or you know, what if I'm not good enough? If you get stuck in that spiral, then you end up not being able to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so what I find is really useful is to talk to someone about it. So uh, I always talk to Gabe about it and <laughs> <laughs> he's like probably tired of hearing me complain uh, about my struggles, but it's really helpful because having a, having someone with a clear mind to remind you of the things that mm-hmm. you're doing, like what you're trying to achieve is really helpful in kind of clearing away all of that fog mm. that you're struggling with. Yeah. And then I think as far as like on a micro scale, like keeping yourself motivated through like getting through, you know, reading five chapters of your homework or whatever is to break it into small bits, right? Instead of reading all five chapters at once, read it like one chapter at a time. And between each, you take a small break and you reward yourself with something that you like to do, whether it's you take a walk or you eat some chocolate or, you know, mm-hmm. anything that you like to do something to kind of break up the monotony yeah. of it. So I, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm loving how you broke it down from the large scale, big motivation to yeah. the mini chocolate bowls at the end of the day that keeps you going <laughs> or is it boba maybe? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I will say I've done all of those things. So that's why I can definitely mm. speak to how successful <laughs> it is. So it's proven fact it does work. Um, so I think a really good question um, that I even even I have to ask often is like, why did you choose the PA route specifically? Um, so I think for me, um, the reason why I liked the appeal of physician assistant is because there's a lot of collaboration within the medical team. And I think when it comes to a patient's health, properly figuring out what I think properly figuring out what is necessary to treat that person completely um, is better done with a group of people rather than with just one person. It's kind of like that saying that people say like two heads are better than one. A physician assistant has all of the capabilities of a physician. They can treat patients, they can write prescriptions, they can do procedures, um, but they also have the added benefit of having a collaborating physician to work with. So someone that they can bounce ideas off of or someone that they can, you know, consult during um, any times that they want to double check something or if they want to you know, get someone else's opinion. So I think having that, I think having that teamwork aspect really, really appealed to me. Um, I think the other thing is simply the fact that the timeline is shorter. Uh, for a physician assistant, you have three years of schooling and then you can start practicing right away. And for me, as someone who is a non-traditional applicant who, you know, went to school and then started working, went back to school, I sometimes feel like I'm, you know, years behind people who have been doing this since they were an undergrad. And so combining that with my desire to really help people as soon as possible and like my excitement to get started in the medical field, the shorter time span uh, appealed to me a lot so that I really wanted to just go out there, start helping people as soon as possible, um, while still having a sufficient amount of medical expertise to be able to do that mm-hmm. properly. So what is so, that time spent? What's the time spent difference? So for physician assistant, you have two to three years, depending on which school you go to, of schooling. That can be a didactic year, and then clinicals, and then it can be um, more clinicals, or it can be a you know fellowship abroad, But uh, in comparison for med school, you have four years of med school, then you've got around three years of residency. And then after that, you can also have an additional two years of fellowship um, or particular specialty. So the timeline is, uh, I would say, pretty different. Um, And it just, for me personally, wasn't what I was looking for. I know plenty of people who are doctors and they absolutely love what they're doing. And the, you know, extra schooling is, or the extra experience is a way for them to, you know, deepen their knowledge so they can provide, you know, more in-depth medical opinion when they see patients. But it's, that one's definitely to each their own, depending on your own personal situation. Wow. That's, that's, that really does clarify it. Thank you. Um, So you mentioned like the track of a non-traditional. So what is it like being non-traditional? And right. 
So non-traditional can actually mean several things. You can be pre-med and then um, take like a gap year and travel for a year or just take a gap year and be non-traditional. Traditional generally means someone who studied a science track in undergrad, went the pre-health route, and then went straight into medicine. Um, That's the general term for traditional. Non-traditional can really vary. But for me, being non-traditional meant being a non-science undergrad, working in a non-science field, and then going back and taking science classes to apply for a medical position. Oh, wow. So the complete reversal. So your route was a complete shift. Um, Yeah. That's that's so cool. Um, What what is... uh, I know, I know we get to ask a lot of questions and we're slowly running out of time. Um, what are three things you want to share with the audience? Like things you learn or things you want them to hear? Um, like about the medical or field like or? Hmm. I think one of the biggest things that I learned from my journey is that if you feel strongly about something, and there are people who do support you and you have a reason for doing something or for wanting to make the decision, you should go for it. Um, especially, you know, for, for like younger listeners, like time is on your side. I quit my job at 21. I'd only been in there for six months. And because I knew that time was on my side, that if I wanted to make a big pivot, that now is the time. Also, because I knew that what I currently was doing at my corporate job, I knew that I didn't like it. So that meant the only way to move forward is to find what I do like, even if that means going through several other things that I end up not liking. Um, But I think trusting in yourself and believing in yourself, even if there are people who, you know, put you down for it or people who tell you that you won't make it. I think that you, it requires a lot of confidence in yourself and a lot of hard work for sure. You can have plenty of confidence in yourself and not put in any hard work and you won't, you won't get anywhere. So you need to have both. You need to be able to work towards what you're going to, what you're aiming for. And you want to be able to, you have to be willing to work for it. And that means going through the ups and downs, the struggles, the blessings, the extra hours, the, you know, lack of sleep. It takes all of that. That's definitely what I learned most from this experience that I sacrificed a lot of things, but I'm definitely in the spot that I want to be. Um, let's see a second thing. Um, (laughs) I don't know. What else did I want to talk about? Um, I think the fact that you could pursue more than one passion was something you, you live with your life. So Love to listen to a little bit about that. Um, wait, what like, you, you pursue multiple things at the same time quite often. Uh, yeah, I think there's nothing wrong. A lot of times people say you want depth, not breadth. Um, I think that's not entirely wrong. But I think when it comes to finding your interests, that includes hobbies, that it's okay to you know dip your toes in things here and there and broaden your horizons because you never know what things that you would be interested in. Like for instance, when it came to Spartan racing, it was something that I never thought that I would ever be interested in. When I first started Spartan racing, I couldn't even imagine running five miles. I wasn't someone who was really into that. And I'm also someone who's very, doesn't like getting their hands dirty. Like I, I always eat with a knife and fork, even pizza. (laughs) Don't come after me, but I just, I don't like getting my hands dirty, which I guess is a little bit strange now that I think about the fact that I like doing stitches but that aside as someone who didn't like getting dirty didn't like you know intensive athletic effort unless I had tried it I wouldn't have known that I would be so in love with that hobby now so I think it's okay to try different things and that also applies to actually I think your job as well because if you're you know not sure what you like to do, it's okay to try things here and there because if even if you don't find exactly what you love, you're able to check off the things that you don't like. And then that narrows it down to finding that solution sooner rather than later. 
Yep. And then I guess the third thing is always find something that makes you happy because that's what's going to get you through the highs and lows. Whether it's, you know, a cup of coffee every morning or, you know, getting a dog. I guess that's <laughs> not necessarily the best financial advice, but, or, you know, spending time with the people that you love, right? Like all of those things, you need to make time for those because if you just put your head down and work all the time, you're going to get mm. burned out. Your wheels are always spinning, right? You're always going to eventually reach a point of burnout and you need to have like a support system to fall back on. You need to have things that you like to do so that your brain can rest and relax and recharge. Mm. So I think have, making sure that you have those things that are important to you is essential to continue to be successful in everything that you do. So what's, what's your, uh, what's your uh, three that you go to? My, so I think for me, I love having some sort of drink, whether, and not like alcoholic drink, but I love drinking, you know, a cup of coffee every day or boba or one or the other or both. Um, I obviously, I love to spend time with Gabe. Um, Sometimes we'll just, even if it's just like watching movies or playing games or going for a walk around the city. Um, and then I think the third thing that I really love to do is spend time to look into the things that I enjoy. So for me, that's looking up more medical information or reading about, you know, people who are, you know, in like the Spartan profession, like as their actual job, or even just like, I love buying stuffed animals, like all those small things, like those are what get me through like the tough days. <laughs> that is so cool. And honestly, thank you so much uh, for telling us all this great information. Um, is there one last plug you want to tell our listeners, uh, potentially your social media handle that your project you're working um, on? Yeah. So like I said, I started this Instagram account uh, about maybe a month ago. Um, it's at white coat underscore Woto. So that's, white coat underscore w-o-t-o and yeah it's pretty new but there's some fun stuff on there i talk about pretty random things sometimes i post medical memes um but yeah that's probably more or less where you can find me for now until i create a blog so if anyone wants to look up some medical memes uh just really cute content that really does matter in the way that we're going about it um, check her out, white coat that underscore Woto, W-O-T-O, and we'd love to see you. If you have any questions about Tiffany or the Ranger podcast that we're creating, please send us an email, like, message. We're still figuring out what the social media is going to be operating on, um, but we'll be excited to hear your next uh, questions and feedback. Uh, well, Tiffany, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast, um, and we're excited to have you as your first one, so... Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll get that out to you and thank you for listening. <laughs>